We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. This podcast episode is brought to you by Coors Light. These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nonstop hustle all the time. Work, friends, family expect you to be on 24-7. Well, sometimes you just need to reach for a Coors Light because it's made to chill. Coors Light is cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. It's as crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. It is literally made to chill. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. What's a Imagine no Jenkinson To play them all onside No shoulder on Mustafi To watch them all run by Imagine no Mustafi blaming it on Leno. You might say that I'm a dreamer, but I'm not the only one. I hope someday we build a cannon. Fire him into the sun. This is the Arsenal Vision post-match podcast. My name is Elliot Smith, and you can block me on Twitter, Yankee Gunner, and after that, I suspect most of you will be doing it. Uh, I must apologize to the greats who were slandered by that impersonation. But um, yeah, I would like to imagine an Arsenal with no Mustafi, no Carl Jenkinson, and so on and so forth. But I am happy that I do not have to imagine an Arsenal Vision podcast without Paul. You can find him on Twitter at Posnum on Pants. Hello, Pos. And Tim, you can find him on Twitter at Stilberto. Hello, Tim. Hello there. And Clive, you can find him on Twitter at Clive P-A-F-C. What you cannot do is find him on this podcast yet. I am assured he will be on it. So basically what's going to happen is at some point, 
there'll be a Clive. And, you know, he'll just pop up in my little window here that says Clive has joined the call. And then I'll be like, hey, Clive. And he'll be like, hey, I'm here. I am here. Uh, I, I can't do a Clive any better than I can do in anything else, uh, including host this podcast. Hey, uh, over on Patreon, we have a really cool, I think, concept coming up that we're going to be doing as a, a Patreon episode with all my travel. We've been uh, slacking on on getting episodes up there, but there are going to be quite a bit of them. The, the Discord chat is as fun as ever. So join us over on Patreon. We would appreciate it. It also helps support this podcast and uh, all the new equipment that Tim is getting and Clive has gotten and Paul has gotten and all the things we're doing and including... Um, some YouTube stuff that's going to be coming up. Thanks to anyone who voted in the FBAs. We have no idea if we will win or not, but whether we do or not, what is important is the friendship we made along the way, uh, but also winning. So if we don't win, Paul, what do we say? Fuck them. There you go. Um, okay. <laughs> and speaking of fuck them, fuck all those defenders. Fuck all y'all. Um, <laughs> so, Paul, let's start with you real quick. I, you know, I think Emery has really been in a strong period lately uh, in terms of the decision-making and the management. Uh, in Since the Bate Borisov loss, I think he got a lot of things right. The way he reintegrated Ozil and Ramsey really helped. Um, the way he decided to, you know, rotate the strikers a bit, play with one up top at times, use the back three when it worked, switch to a back four for games where he needed to, like Spurs away. And then the Everton game came around. Kind of thought he got that wrong, and then I really think he got this one wrong. He had tough choices to make. The Socrates ban we knew was going to be a problem. It has so proven. Uh, the injuries, the fixture congestion, it's all problematic. Despite that, I thought he got some decisions wrong. Agree or disagree? Uh, no, I agree. <clears throat> um, it, it's kind of like you could tweak the formation maybe a little bit more than the personnel mm-hmm. uh, if you were to critique it. <clears throat> Um, you could maybe critique the starting personnel uh, in one or two spots, but I think his his uh, his hand was largely set, uh, but perhaps not the cards he could draw from. No, never mind. Um, so yeah, you could you could probably tweak the 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 uh, formation a little bit, and maybe one or two players you might uh, say oh, I don't know about that call because you know he made some drastic choices or some strong choices at halftime as a reaction to his half letting that play out um but i i mean i guess the thing is my deep suspicion is that he still is getting used to the premier league he he thought this was going to be a tough match but not that tough and uh, and perhaps there's just a small element of um underestimating this fixture and Crystal Palace at home. I, I just think um, next year he would have come into this knowing he was going to have to dig a little deeper. He didn't have a lot of choices here, but whatever choices he had, I suspect he maybe thought he had a little bit more leeway than he did. Um, mm. And by halftime, he realized uh, we were in some deep doo-doo here and he needed to make some changes. I mean, Maitland-Niles, I don't really know why he couldn't start here. I mean, the guy's 21 or whatever, as fit as a fiddle, and I thought he was outstanding in the second half. Absolutely. One of the, there were very few bright points in this, but uh, I can think of three. He was one of them. I thought he was absolutely excellent, but yeah. it's all, it's all for nothing. Yeah, it winds up being all for nothing, and it's it's really a dispiriting loss because obviously with United hilariously losing 4-0 to Everton, um, 
with Ole at the wheel. Uh, you know, it, it was a chance to really, I think, put ourselves in a position where you'd say we we almost had top four wrapped up in some respects. I think, um, you know, given the fact that that we have the away games coming up, you can't say anything was a given, but these three points certainly would have pointed to, I think, us finishing in the top four, and it would have put us ahead of Spurs, which I think, even if you believe top four is still in play, and I really do, and we will come to that, I think now finishing above Spurs looks probably like bit of a job too far for us. So that obviously is really disappointing. Tim, let's get into the specifics of what he could have done differently from the start. Now, you have made mm. the really good point, I think, many good points, but one of which is <laughs> um, that starting 11s aren't really the team for Emery, right? That like mm. they're part of the game plan, but that Emery's strategy encompasses more than just the first 11 he puts out there. And it may well have been that he looked at this 11 as one he wanted to go for a half, because he had players he knew could only go for the second half, and that may have always been the plan, and that he wanted to just keep it safe and tight early and blow them away late. My my problem with this is, you know, if you're going to lean into using bad defenders, because that's all you have left, admittedly, to choose from, pick one less of them and get one more attacker out there. I really think he had to go back four here and play like he did in the first leg against Napoli, on the front foot, pressing them, pinning them back, putting them under pressure, and leaning into the strength of Ozil, Aubameyang, Lacazette, and one more, Iwobi or Mkhitaryan. Mm. And I think that could have made a huge difference, especially because when we've seen him pick the back three, and it's worked, and it's been aggressive, and it's been effective, it's been a combination of pressing, but also one extra attacking-type player or progressive player in that midfield, too. I think Ramsey's presence in the midfield in the back three has made it look a totally different animal. And by choosing El Elneny and Gendouzi... Yeah. He set us up, I think, to really have very little that we could do to instigate the attack. And so when you look up and you're Ganduzi and you have the ball at your feet, he's not going to play the line-splitting passes to Lacazette or Aubameyang you know, in behind the defense. That meant Ozil had to drop in a lot deeper. He received a lot of balls at the halfway line and in his own half in the first half. And, and it just looked very disconnected and non-threatening. And by not being threatening, you invite Palace to come on to you. And they are very good away. They're one of the top six teams, I think, in terms of their away record. So for me, it would have been a top four. It would have been to play more, lean more into the attack. Am I just making a bad situation too easy? No, I th- and I think you saw in the second half that even though we conceded two further goals, um, we you know we scored two goals in the second half, kind of doing that. But I I do I think I get why he went with the kind of back five again because uh, effectively he's trying to hide players. Yeah, of course. Um, mm-hmm. And you know Jenkinson, he's thinking, and, and you're right. I think I think he he'd have known from when he named that team that Jenkinson and Elneny we're going to do 60 minutes at the most. And with Maitland-Niles, I can only imagine that there's some kind of knock there. That's that's the only thing I can imagine. And it it, it kind of calls to mind, you know how everyone was um, having a go at Pep for not playing De Bruyne against Spurs in the first leg of the Champions League and only putting him in, on with two minutes to go and everyone's going, what, like, why is he doing that for? What is what is he doing? Well, sure well, enough, he's now days, lost him, yep. Mm-hmm. Exactly. Ten days later, he does his knee. And so he obviously if anything, probably overplayed him uh, and he was trying to use him sparingly. So I wonder if there's something like that that we don't know about going on with, um, say, Maitland-Niles. I think also that the Socrates suspension here is particularly damaging because I I think he would have played with a back four if he could have played um, Socrates and Mustafi together, given Koscielny the day off. 
because um, I'm, t- I'm telling you from inside the stadium, Koscielny cannot run. He just can't. Um, like when he runs, he's, he's kind of hobbling. He's like running on one leg. Um, and so I think he wants those players around. And I, I think the reason he's gone to the back three a lot recently is because it suits the full-backs, Kolasinac and Maitland-Niles, both of whom I think he sees as wing-backs. He wants those legs around Koscielny. He wants those legs around Monreal when he's there. Um, and the, the only defender we have that, uh, or that we had available that, that has that kind, and he wanted to hide Mavropanos as well. So I kind of understand um, why he did that. And, and with the selection, um, yeah, I, I think I didn't have a lot of problems with it before the game because he's, he's got to make choices at the moment. There are players there that can't play every game. Um, and he had to make the choice at some point, and he either had to make it against Palace or away at Wolves and away at Leicester. And ideally, I don't think he'd have wanted to do it for any of those games, but he kind of had to. Um, and I think Paul's right. I think he thought, well, you know, if I can just get through the first half and it's nil-nil, and then I can get, you know, some of these players on, um, things might be slightly different. So I do think that's what he's going. He was going for. And to be honest, once once he changed it up at half time, and we had. Um, you know, we went to the back four and we got the equaliser nice and early. And, and I really thought we'd go on to win the game then. I Same. thought, OK, yep. mm-hmm. may, maybe we've got away with this. And um, we would have gotten away with it if it wasn't for that meddling Mustafi, um, <laughs> unfortunately, who just, you know, not just a bad error, but just a, a really, really bad time when Palace just won in the game at all. And um, yeah, so I, I had some sympathy with the lineup. I think you're right, though. I think I particularly like in hindsight, after about 10 minutes, uh, my mate and I were just kind of saying, this needs Iwobi. This needs, um, and and this is the reason Iwobi is important to us, not because he is in and of himself a top-class player, but we're so desperately short of dribblers. And you look at the only two good situations we made in the first half were from players dribbling. It was one Lacazette dribbling from the halfway line um, kind of breaking through. And, and then I think Mavropanos did it. He beat yeah. about three players. Didn't and he take a shot was, at the end of it or something? Yeah, <laughs> yeah. And it, it wasn't a great shot, but we needed that kind of penetration. And I think that became apparent quite quickly. But I can't pretend I was saying that before the game. Yeah, see, we, yeah go ahead. Could I? Mm-hmm. So a couple of things uh, on, on Tim's thing on the centre-backs. I mean, it would have been really hard to see Koscielny playing 90 minutes as one of two centre-backs or maybe even 45 minutes. He just doesn't have that man-on-man speed at the moment. So uh, I get why we started with three at the back there, uh, to Tim's point. And then uh, with the... Uh, I still think, had he known how much trouble we might be in in this game, he would have done something different. But it's hard to know what it would be. But it could have been a Wobie for 45 minutes swapped out with Mkhitaryan for 45 minutes uh, as as one of the options to get more impetus going through. But, I mean, it's it's hard to see how many... The, the Elneny-Ganduzi pairing looks like a non-starter, and yet that's how we started the second half. Um, so... I, I can I can only assume that the the dog is not enjoying your takes. Who, whose dog is not enjoying Paul's takes? That's that's one of my neighbor's dogs. Your neighbor's dog is not enjoying Paul's takes. Yeah. That's right. Well, I have I have a great affection for your neighbor's dog now, but that's okay. Go, go on, go on, Paul. Let's let's see how I feel about your takes when you're done with this. Yeah. So, uh, like, 
El Nani Ganduzi, not a winner for me as a pairing. And yet we looked really good. Within two minutes of the second half, we'd scored our goal. We were on top and we were playing with El Nani Ganduzi. So, you know, your your favorite bugbears, uh, a, a tweak here, a tweak there, more impetus. And we started playing much, much better. But Yeah, I, yeah. I guess, look, Paul, for me, the reality is, I, and I, I totally take on board that we were that Emery was trying to protect players, right? That when you have Mavropanos and you have Jenkinson and you, you have Mustafi, like maybe the answer is protect these terrible defenders by just having extra ones on the pitch. I don't necessarily philosophically think that works. And I just feel that if you can get your better players on the pitch that allow you to leave. Your, I'm not being argumentative. Yeah, 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 sure. I'm curious. Well, it might be. We'll see. Um, Who would your two CBs have been and your two fullbacks? Look, I would have been totally comfortable with any combination of Koscielny, Nacho as center backs with Mustafi as a right back. I would have been fine. I mean, fine is stretching it, but I would have been okay with Koscielny and Mustafi as center backs with Maitland-Niles as a fullback, although I agree Maitland-Niles is not particularly strong as fullback. I think he probably could have put Mustafi in at fullback here and used Koscielny and Mavropanos and tucked Mustafi in a little bit and leaned into the left side bias we have anyway. And then you can get Iwobi on the pitch with, or, or Mkhitaryan with Ganduzi and Elneny. Personally, what I would have done is I would have gone Ganduzi and Iwobi and Mkhitaryan and Ozil and Lacazette and Aubameyang. And I say, you know, yes, Iwobi has not played in central midfield for him. I totally understand that. But you sit Ganduzi at the base of midfield. You play it a little bit more like a diamond but you have that fourth or even fifth attacker. You press and you keep the ball in their half. I thought because we carried so little attacking threat in the first half, they were very comfortable coming out towards us. And if you think about the way this this lineup set up, you know Jenkinson is going to be really a non-impact player in the attacking half. That means you have Kolasinac doing Kolasinac stuff, which he did. Um, you have Ginduzi and Elneny trying to make those intermediate value passes, those line-breaking passes that Shaq is so good at. Neither one of them is really going to carry the ball into the attacking third, so Ozil has to drop deeper. Once you have Ozil at the halfway line, and Aubameyang and Lacazette standing up in the final third, there's just a total disconnect there. And I just thought it made it very, very easy for Palace to keep us at bay and pick their chances to come at us. And, you know, for me, if if you're going to do something for a half hour or 45 minutes or an hour— I would have done it the other way. Go at them aggressively at the beginning of the game. Try to get a goal or two. And if you have a two-goal lead and you want to switch it to a back three and sit in a shell a little bit and just leave Aubameyang on the halfway line to spring counters when they have to come at us, I'd rather do it that way than fall behind and chase the game. We already know we're not particularly great at chasing the game. So, Tim, I think... Yes, go ahead. Just a quick one on that. So, But... That would require putting Koscielny in a two, which I think both Tim and I feel uh, is something that for this game in particular, he wasn't up to. Yeah, I mean, I, I don't know. Yeah, The problem is, I mean, he wound up playing the whole game anyway, right? Um, and, yeah, in, and in a back four for the second when he's half. the guy who's well, positioning the other guys to do the running kind of thing. But he did, I mean, he was in a back four the entire second half, right? So, so I, I mean, ultimately, I guess what I'm saying is, there were no ideal situations here. I even tweeted out I had a lot of sympathy for Emery trying to make lemonade out of the lemons of of you know the the players he had to choose from. So I think at Arsenal with the current Arsenal squad, if you ever find yourself in a situation where you're thinking I'm going to put Jenkinson, Mustafi, Mavropanos all on the pitch together, 
my my approach would be why not find a way to get Iwobi or Mkhitaryan or both of them on instead, especially when Elneny was in there. It was a very, very conservative lineup for a mm. home game against a team that's yep. pretty good away. And ultimately it may have been his it may have been his idea. Keep it tight for a while and win it late. I just think that that plan blows up if you give up the first goal and we're always capable of doing it. And that leads me to how we gave up the goals. And Tim, I I don't think you can analyze this game without acknowledging that for all of the shitty attacking play we had in the first half, you're right, we did get it level and we did dominate the game in the second half, I felt. Um, And, you know, really, it's individual errors that, that blew up this game for us. So let's start. Let's mm. walk through those before we get into you know individual performances. Let's talk about the first goal. There is a desire to blame Mustafi for everything, and I'm pretty yeah. much comfortable with that. Having said that, <laughs> if you are trying to hold an offside line on a set piece, you have to let the guy run in behind you. You have to. That's how it works. So mm. I, I don't really have a problem with Mustafi letting Benteke go because as bad as it looks, Benteke's a mile offside if Jenkinson doesn't just do Jenkinson stuff. To me, this goal is on uh, Mavropanos for a really unnecessary, clumsy challenge and Jenkinson for yeah. for not holding the line. I mean, do you see it the same way? Yeah, yeah, definitely. And it's, it's just a symptom of a defence that, um, yeah, I mean, there are kind of quality and experience issues there. But really, it's just a defence that doesn't really play together very often. And you can see the communication's not quite there. Um, the communication wasn't there. The Mavropanos fell right down b- below me. And um, really, someone should have just said to him, you know, like, like you don't need to, like, because you could see the whole thing developing. And even when when he was beaten, he, it, it wasn't a situation where he needed to do that to kind of take the foul and the yellow card. There was plenty of cover. I think he could have just let it go. It wasn't, it wasn't that necessary to to break that attack up in that way. And it, you know, that's changed the way that he played. And it also meant that we kind of, I think that made the decision to take Mavropanos off at half time when um, maybe there, there were some other candidates um, for that, quite frankly. Um, so, yeah, I, I really, it's, I, I agree with you. I, I kind of understand why Mustafi doesn't track that run. And I, I think I said on the post Watford pod that um, what the players had been doing is establishing a really high line when defending set pieces, which against Watford worked to treat. And, you know, Jenkinson doesn't play very often and he obviously wasn't in sync with the rest of them and the communication wasn't there. So it, it's it, it's um, it's a fault of the unit and it's just because the unit doesn't play together very often. Is the is the use of Jenkinson altogether just a massive indictment of Licksteiner and the yeah. attitude and effort and quality he brought? To, I mean, because... This guy was signed on a free on a really healthy wage coming from Juventus where he, you know, is a really experienced player... Players drop off. We know that. But it's not... I mean, look at Koscielny, as we've spoken about at length. He's an old player coming back from an Achilles, and he's he's done brilliantly. Surely Licksteiner could have been better for us than he has been. Do you think he just showed up, you know, expecting to sit in an easy chair and collect a, a check? No, I, do, I don't. Everything I've heard about Licksteiner is, is entirely the opposite um, about his kind of attitude um, and, and the way he carries himself on the training ground. I, I think... So personally, I think it's just the decision's been made that he's not going to be here next season. So Emery's just decided, look, um, I know what I've got with him and it's not that much and he's not going to be here next year anyway. 
And um, we've seen a couple of like half decent performances from Jenkinson, and he's probably thought, well, I'll give Jenkinson a try and I'll see if he can earn any kind of future here. Um, I think yesterday might have answered that question quite emphatically. I, I don't. I, we've said this before, but um, I, I don't think we'll see him play for Arsenal again. I think he will be moved on in the summer, and and I think maybe Emery was not in two minds about that, but just thought, well, you know, may, maybe he can because you know we've said before, haven't we? Like, do we really want to spend a lot of money on a backup right back? And Maitland Niles is perhaps showing he can do it. And he, you know, he probably thought, well, I've got Jenkinson here, third choice right back. Is he really doing that much harm in the squad? Let's see what he's, let's see what he's made of in a game like this. And uh, yeah, unfortunately, I think he got his answer. Yeah, and I, I mean, look, it, it is the problem that, like, because Jenkinson is an Arsenal fan, and everybody knows that, and he's been around since he was younger. There's sort of this caveat you have to make every time you criticize Jenkinson. That's like, look, I really like him, but, or he's a great guy, but, or I'd love to see him succeed, but, but like. This is the absolute top level of football. The way we played it the other day, it wasn't, but it's supposed to be the top level of football. And he's not good enough. And that's a shame, but you know, better for him, better for us, better for everybody for him to be playing his football somewhere else. Um, mm. and, and I think, you know, again, this is a situation, it, it goes back to why I would have picked a back four is I'd rather have a player on who is Arsenal caliber in a setup that isn't ideal, that plays to our strengths, than have a player on who is not Arsenal caliber at any position. You know, if I said we were going to pick a back five and four of us plus Jenkinson would be the back five, you'd say, surely there's a better there's a better uh, strategy than that. And, you know, I, I think that's probably quite clear. So anyway, Clive has joined, and uh, we'll go right to you, Clive, with a question about the midfield. There's a lot of criticism for both Genduzzi and Elneny for their performance today, and I'm sort of torn between seeing it that way, and in particular with respect to Elneny, and also wondering if just sometimes a player's ability to shine depends on the job they're given. I mean, you always talk about he gave so-and-so a job, Emery gave so-and-so a job, and he did it. You know, some people, (coughs) Paul, (coughs) really liked Francis Coughlin when he was at Arsenal. He was not my favorite, but what I will admit is Francis Coughlin, when partnered with the right guy, could do a job. He had a job that he could do, and he did it pretty well. Um, You couldn't pair Francis Coughlin and Matthew Flamini together in a two-man midfield, any more than you can partner Elneny and Ganduzi. So for you, how much of this is the quality of the players, and in particular Elneny, and how much of it is the partnership and it, its lack of complementary qualities? Yeah, it's all of the above. And, and you know what, Elliot? You know, I'm a, I'm a fan of our manager, and I think he's a data-driven manager. So last time I looked, he was on the sideline when we played Everton away. And that tells you all you need to know about the balance of that midfield. Yeah, I was and, just going to ask about that. Great point. And so, you know, the manager's discovering things. Every ground he goes to is new. Every combination he tries to put together is new. But then I look at him and say, okay, what are you about? You're about video analysis. You're about learning from the data that's presented to you. And you have a game against Everton away, which tells you exactly that combination doesn't work they are basically the same players their running lines are the same the things they get excited about to get their game off is the same they make the same runs and so what they do to compensate for the fact they make the same runs is they separate they have distance between them and when they have distance between them of course what 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 do we lack we lack control so what you actually need when you have a back three is somebody deep somebody almost in a straight line ahead 
And that's the role that Ramsey plays really, really well when Shaka's there. And when, and this is my big thing about Ramsey, when Shaka's not there, he says, I'll, I'll take it here and then in the deep role and I'll offer that control. So what he did by not recognising that was actually disappointing. Right? And I, I feel very strongly, I'm not sure what you guys have spoken about so far, but this was a perfect day to actually use Mikataran in that role. Take one of those two out. Use Mikatarian as, as that second midfielder in the two and say, well, you've got the protection of the back three behind you. You've got a defensive midfielder who can rotate and give a little bit of continuity. But I need you to drive and connect us to the to the, the guys up top. You have to be that connector. And that's what Ramsey does really, really well. And the, there's two or three players that, well, it's basically two players that could do that role. One wasn't fit enough to play 90 minutes in, in Torreira. And the other one, was sitting on the bench doing nothing, right? Texting his mates. And I think we should have been using Mikatarin in that role and be much more aggressive and say, look, we are a little bit shaky at the back. We have got injuries. We've got suspension. We've got old men that need rests. So I need to put the emphasis on my team going forward. But actually, really do it. Don't not halfway house it. Do it. Play El Nenny as a deep man, but then play Mikatarin, play Ozil play a Bamiyang, play Lacazette, have wing-backs as outlets and go that way. But what we did by taking out that, just being a little bit cautious, we did nothing. We didn't really connect the front to the front four, front three, sorry. We didn't really connect to them and we didn't offer protection and we didn't have control. We didn't have recovery speed. We had nothing for them to fear. And, and, and it was so, I'm, I'm very disappointed by that selection. And, um, You've got to decide at some point, I've lost Ramsey. He offers a certain dynamic. I've got to put something close to him into this team because it works. So by picking Gwenduzi, for example, you're now asking him to do something that he can't do. And um, at 19, I think it's unfair. And I think that's where he made a massive mistake. And I'm sure all of you would agree. This, this is not rocket science. It's just balance. You have one of them. I don't care which one. And you make sure somebody around them is a sprinter, driver, connector. And you, we can decide which one we like to do that role. But you don't put two of them there doing the same job because we just negate the whole side. Yeah, to- I totally agree. And I think it was absolutely apparent. Now, what I had said earlier is, I, you know, I would have maybe thought of Uwobi there instead of Mkhitaryan. But I take your point. Maybe Mkhitaryan is the better option. I would have put them both on and played the back four, as I mentioned. But, like, to me, you know, the other the other real issue in this game was just that because of that breakdown, because that lack of progressiveness in midfield, we also never, ever really brought our strikers into the game in the first half. And, Paul, that that's something... I mean, look, I don't think Lacazette or Aubameyang have been playing well for a while now. Aubameyang had a stunning goal, a beautiful solo effort. Lacazette had a brilliant assist for Ozil's magnificent finish, which we'll come to. But, you know, again, I'm torn between thinking they kind of let us down in the first half by not finding ways to get involved and helping out the lesser players around them and thinking we didn't do them any favors. I I lean towards the idea that we are maybe still a better team balance-wise with one up top instead of both of them. They like playing together, but I'm not sure we are as good playing them together. Having seen them play together quite a bit now recently after going a long period where they didn't. You know, for a while there, we were playing one up top, and I I thought our game looked to have a little more balance. Where do you stand on the idea that, that we're not getting the most out of them by playing them together? 
well, I definitely like playing them together for the most part. I wasn't sold on it at the start of the season, but I think uh, being data-driven, as Clive talks about, we've seen kind of every combination, and, and each one of them has an issue, whether you play one or two, uh, whether we, you know, any configuration we come up with, there's always a vulnerability. I'm, for the most part, especially at home, fine with starting with two of them, fine with two up front, um, Ozil behind them. I actually thought Ozil, I mean, Ozil worked his socks off, uh, shoulders didn't drop throughout the game, which was, I thought, particularly impressive. Now, it's at home, so maybe he always kind of keeps that going. Um, but I thought that one with two ahead of him was an okay idea. It just didn't have the midfield engine behind it. Uh, Ozil on his own isn't going to do it. El Nenny Genduzi wasn't going to do it. And the two wingbacks were ineffective. I, I, you can work your way back through the team and see why the first half wasn't going to work, including if, if we're going to have three centre-backs, we need to be able to play out from the back. And we're still not very good at playing out through the back. And uh, El Nenny in particular, I think, uh, holds us back in playing out from the back in front of those centre-backs. There's no startling player for playing out of the back. Kolasinac's touch can be dodgy. Uh, you got Jenkinson. So you look at five players. you got Leno, who's excellent at playing out of the back. Michelny's decent. None of the others. Uh, and I think Ganduzi's very useful in play, helping play out of the back because he can take a ball. Yes, he'll get caught from time to time. But basically, behind Ozil, he didn't have the support required. When we put in Maitland-Niles, um, then we had two wing-backs, effectively, who could get forward and make something happen around Ozil. Um, so I'm okay with the approach, but I think the back five or so of the back six players... Um, just isn't giving him the support he needed in the first half. He dropped deep a lot. He got hold of the ball. He really worked, tried to get something happen, but it meant there was no nobody was in the forward Ozil spot because he had dropped back into midfield to help out, and it really struggled. I think Lacazette's been very good the last couple of games, but it's kind of gone under the radar. I thought he was excellent in this. I actually thought he was pretty decent in the Napoli game. Um, or at least he had moments where he showed he had form, even if he didn't have a bri- an overall brilliant game. I think Aubameyang is maybe stuck between two kinds of roles at the moment, support to Lacazette uh, versus being a, an out-and-out centre-forward. And I think he's maybe just a little off the boil, but then he scores a goal like that. Um, so, yeah, I, I, I wouldn't say they're out of form. I think Lacazette might be close to being very in form and Aubameyang somewhere in the middle. I think it's more what was behind them and what was behind Ozil and the amount of dropping deep he had to do in the first half. In the second half, we looked really dangerous and we should have won this game. Yeah, I, I totally agree with that. And I mean, that that does bring us to the the sort of undeniable issue of Mustafi, which we're creeping <sighs> towards. So let's do this. Let's take a break before we do the Mustakalypse Mustafa Apocalypse, whatever you want to call it. Uh, we'll talk about some of the good things that happened, the goals we scored, but also uh, what Mustafi did. So uh, we will get comfortable, kick back, relax, throw on some sexy lingerie, and then come back and talk about the least sexy thing imaginable. Stay with us. 
Okay, everyone, it's time to tell you about our friends at Enclosed Lingerie. You can find them online at the Enclosed, the E-N-C-L-O-S-E-D dot com. Enclosed Lingerie is a Lingerie of the Month club. That's right, just like a Beer of the Month club, only better, because it's a high-end luxury lingerie gift for you and your partner that's going to enhance the intimacy in your relationship. Right now, if you put in Arsenal at checkout, they're going to give you $35 off any gift from Enclosed Lingerie. So you're going to want to go to theenclosed.com and sign up now. What better way to celebrate the romance in your relationship than celebrating with a gift from the enclosed? And the gifts keep coming every month. So while it can be difficult to remember to keep the romance, to keep the intimacy in your relationship, the enclosed has your back. Every month you're going to get that high-end luxury lingerie gift, and it's going to remind you of the importance of romance in your relationship. So do it now. Go to theenclosed.com. There is a perfect fit guarantee, so you never have to worry about the fit. It's beautiful, high-end luxury lingerie. Just go to theenclosed.com and enter promo code ARSENAL for $35 off at checkout. Do it now. Okay, we're back. Uh, Now that we're all comfortable and feeling good about our bodies and things like that, let's talk about someone who has no control over his body, and that is Shodran Mustafi. Um, Tim... It feels like piling on. I think there is a tendency yeah. to be contrarian sometimes. And, Paul, I know you, you feel this, and that's not meant as a criticism, by the way. I just think when, when you, Paul, you have that identity that when someone is being attacked, you want to defend them, especially when it's you know your, your team, your players. Yeah, and, it's a question of degree, right? Yeah, of course. I, I think Shodan Mustafi is someone who has become a target of Arsenal fans and certainly the way some fans talk about it goes too far and that can lead you to want to rush to his defense. But the fact is, when we just talk from a pure football standpoint, he costs us points. He costs us points because he makes mistakes. Now you put out a tweet identifying what you think you feel to be the problem with him is. Um, I have been saying for a long time that I think his problems are not problems of talent, but problems of intention. Mm. That they are problems of mentality, an unwillingness to go the hard yard, to make the hard challenge, to to you know win the ball and 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 stay in the duel. And I we saw that again. So let's let's talk about both goals really at the same time. But let's start with the one that I think was the absolute killer for this game. We get the Ozo goal, we're back in it. Um mm. we, we're playing more attacking football. They look like they're a little nervous. And then Mustafi just completely Let's Zaha go and blames Leno for reasons that I don't fully understand. <laughs> Walk me through that goal and and your feelings on Mustafi generally. Yeah, I, I think you're right. I, I I kind of feel that too. Um, that kind of that sense of pylon, and even when you, you know, I, I've I've seen this with a lot of players before, where you know I'm angry with them and frustrated with them, and you know sometimes might send a tweet, uh, kind of straight after a game or something, and you know and then it builds up for a few hours and then you kind of calm down but the internet doesn't calm down and two or three days later it's still going and you're sitting there going oh for christ's sake this is this is too much now hey tim um, i was uh, watching the life of brian on sunday because it's easter and it's a that is so movie. weird i watched it on i watched it on saturday <laughs> I, I swear to you i'm sorry i know this is like really yeah so i i watched, I it, watched it and so did my wife <laughs> and, and you get to the Jehovah and the stoning, yeah. and I'm like, "Holy shit!" It's there's Mustafi. Yeah, you know, pack <laughs> of gravel, Jehovah. Yeah. <laughs> Two flats and a pack of gravel. 
Yes, yes, exactly. That is what that's what the next home game is going to be like. And um, and, and this is the thing. Like twenty four hours later, I, I haven't really calmed down on it. Um, and it's it's <laughs> it's like. I, I mean, I kind of felt like that a little bit about the Aubameyang penalty miss, right, against Spurs. And I, and I wasn't angry. I was angry about the situation and, and a little bit at him. But it's like, OK, he's our top scorer. He's really good. I know he's a really good player. I just think he made a silly decision to try and take a penalty like that in that circumstance. But it's a mistake. And the only reason it's so enlarged in my mind is because it's in the last minute against Tottenham. Um, otherwise, I'd probably been able to let it go quicker, and I have let it go now. But yeah, with Mustafa, it's just a bit. And I know you took um, a lot of flack for for using the word coward, and um, and and I think the thing is that what people kind of uh, you know fairly understandably misinterpreted was that you know that that's like a personality judgment when actually it's a footballing judgment. Exactly. I never meant like, he, you know, if someone yeah. attacked his family, he wouldn't defend yeah. them. So, you know what I mean? Yeah, I don't mean it exactly, that way. yeah. <laughs> but, but he just, to me, it just looks like he wants to tap out of situations. He wants out. He wants the quick exit. Look at all of his mistakes. You know, he's done this before. He did it against Southampton last season where inexplicably just left the ball for check when it was never his ball. Um, he did it in the League Cup final or he goes and slides on his ass, which is a death or glory move. It's either, well, I get the ball and that's it, or I'm out of the play. Otherwise, like either way, my involvement in this scenario is over in two seconds. Um, or committing a stupid foul, like the one on Harry Kane in the North London derby. It's just right. This is a pressure situation. I don't want any more of it. I'm going to shove him out of the way and either a penalty is going to be given or I'm going to get away with it and it goes out for a goal kick. Either way, I'm tapping out and he, he just, he does that too often. And I think you're right. I, I don't, so on the face of it, I don't think he's a bad defender. I think he has good qualities and I think. Um, That's why people like, get so frustrated. He's not Carl yes, Jenkinson. He's capable yes. of playing football at this level physically. Exactly, exactly. That's that's exactly right. He's not. We've seen some bad centre halves at Arsenal down the years, and he's not a bad centre half. But he just has this like, and again, like footballing personality trait, and it's it's so costly. It's just so so costly. And we've said it time and time again that you know he costs us points in important situations, and this. This just crystallised it because, um, you know, Palace, they were, they were barely in the game at this point and we were we got the really early equaliser. We changed the system, tails were up and he, like, I just don't understand what he's doing in that moment. Like, that's, that's the sort of move you do when the ball's going out for a goal kick, not on the edge of your area. He can see his goalkeeper the entire time. It's not blindside. He's looking at him and... They both speak the same fucking language. In fact, they speak, they both speak German and English. <laughs> so, like, there can't be a communication issue. And obviously, Leno hasn't shouted to him to leave it. So what is he doing leaving it? But maybe that was the problem, Tim. One of them was speaking English while the other one was listening <laughs> in German. Yeah, there you go. Maybe. maybe. <laughs> or may, maybe, maybe Wilfred Zaha... Um, learned a bit of German before the game just for this scenario. So he thought, I know, I'll learn the German for leave it and I'll shout it at the opportune moment. And and it's just it's just an absolutely absurd mistake. And it's just one of those in the stadium where you, everyone just goes, did I just see that right? Like, have I, have I just missed something? 
And um, the thing is, so with, with Mustafi, online, yes, very much, you know, he has a reputation amongst the fans that um, that is not particularly great. But in the stadium, what, what's quite interesting is the stadium has never turned on him. Like, I've never heard him booed. I've never heard his name cheered. I don't even hear groans when he gets the ball like I have with other players in the past. But I think that's going to change um, now, actually. And I, and I think this was... It's taken quite a long time, to be honest. I think a lot of players have done a lot less to get a lot more um, heat off of the Arsenal crowd. But yeah. I really think that's going to change now. Look, I, you know what, Tim? The, there are always, like, sort of people that have opinions about you and and them and this player and that player. And like one of the things that I think sometimes happens when you're critical is people assume that you enjoy being critical. Yeah. You enjoy, like, yeah. it gives me no pleasure to criticize an Arsenal player, right? I mean, I love Are complimenting. You sure? Well, I mean, <laughs> look, maybe there's a catharsis in it, I'll admit. But like, no, I, I genuinely like the people saying that like Mustafi should kill himself or, you know, that kind of stuff, that is obviously yeah, clearly yeah. over the top. And the problem is that that type of reaction leads some people to feel that they have to come to his defense. And that yeah. is a very, that is an extremely online dynamic that takes away from the actual discussion, which is that yeah. it's patently obvious Mustafi is not at the level we need him to be. And the thing is as well, that, that kind of reaction, what we should do is just ignore it and not acknowledge it because otherwise we allow it to pollute the discussion and we legitimise it. Well said. I, and, and, and I was saying, like you, I, just to wrap up on your point about not enjoying it, I said to someone um, last night, like, so sometimes when I can't think of what to write for, like, the column or whatever, I just go through, in my head, I just go through all the players um, and I think, right, can I write about him this week? And I'll just go through them one by one. And so I've written about like most of the players on a one-off basis, most of them several times. I have never, ever written anything um, about Mustafi. And the reason is because if I wrote anything, it would be a hit piece. And yeah. I don't want to write that piece because it makes me feel crap. It's easy, frankly. Um, and and I, I just don't think there's anything valuable about it. And I, I've never written about Shkodran Mustafi. And that's why, because... I don't really have much nice to say. Yeah, and you know what it reminds me of almost is like the, the Wenger out debate because when there was a legitimate debate to be had about whether Arsene Wenger should stay or go, there were always the people who were like, oh, the French see you next Tuesday or oh, the pedo or, you know, whatever, pedo, whatever, like would say things that were so horrible and so abhorrent that it would poison the ability to have a debate without aligning yourself with people like that. When it comes to Mustafi, I think it is pretty clear that we have to move on from this player. I have sympathy for Emery and with Emery because... If he doesn't use him, you're talking about throwing guys, you know, like Mavropanos into the deep end who clearly don't look ready for it or making other choices that are tough. And so it is a difficult situation. One thing I will say about that goal, and this is going to seem unfair, Koscielny does something that I think exacerbates the situation. So Elneny drops deep to contest the header. Koscielny chooses to race forward and press up and try to win the first ball as well. And so both Elneny and Koscielny are jumping with the man to win the first ball. And as a result, Mustafi winds up being isolated 1v1 with Zaha. Now, it's still Mustafi's mistake. I'm not criticizing Koscielny or saying he should make decisions based on knowing he's got a moron next to him. But like, if Koscielny doesn't contest the header, Zaha has nowhere to go, and that ball is knocked down to no one. So 
I, I think, unfortunately, that choice exacerbated the situation. And Clive, I don't think we should move off Mustafi yet. I think we need to hear, you know, sort of one more voice on this issue. Ultimately, he, I think he's at fault for the third goal as well. He loses his man on the set yep. piece. So, you know, he goes on and he, he makes a bad day even worse. We could have gotten a point from this. We could have gotten three points from this, I think. And, you know, you can say Emery got it wrong. You can say John Moss got a handball call wrong, which he did. That should have been a penalty with VAR. It gets it right. Tim, I know, is pounding his fist for VAR to come into the game. Um, but, like, even despite all the mistakes with the lineup and the referee and all of that, I think we take all three points, if not for Mustafi. And so you you hate to say that any one player loses you a game, but isn't it fair to say that Mustafi is the kind of one player that does lose us games almost all on his own? <laughs> I think he, 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 almost like, you know, I love doing this podcast, right? But I like giving some insight on things that are not very obvious. This is so obvious, I almost don't want to answer it. <laughs> yeah, he's it's bad. Like, Let's oh, just keep saying oh. <laughs> You know, we, we, we said years ago, it was a bad recruitment. We didn't need that profile of centre-half. Valencia must be laughing themselves to sleep. They've got Gabriel and we've got Mustafi. They've got 35 million quid of our English pounds in their pocket, right? So, and I looked at, you know, I know a little bit about football. I look at the profiles of both players. And I don't care what anyone says. I know we have not got the best of that deal, right? So, um, and so we know this. We're intelligent enough to know this. So, by killing a player that we actually need, we do need him. He's going to play again. He's going to play again because our captain and leader, one of the best signings Arsenal has ever made, is literally got got a mobility scooter going around the pitch, uh, and we've got other players that can't play the level of games every three, four days because they're too old or they're suspended or they're not good enough or they were bad signings. And so we have a situation where, you know what? I feel as a fan, he's easy to kill. We all know the situation. The quality's not there. Manchester United got Phil Jones. We've got Mustafi. We're not giving him another four and a half year contract that like Manchester United have done. Right? So it is what it is. So it's easy to kill. So I almost feel as though if I kill him, how is he going to be better? That's just my little responsibility as a fan. Because we need him. We're going to need him to play football. We've got one of our right backs who's got a year injury. We're going to need him to play. Right? So Rob Holding's out for a year. We're going to need him. It's almost like, oh, yes, he's not very good. He was not a very good recruitment. But I do feel we have responsibility to carry him as much as we can. Because we have got bigger things at play here. We've got a Europa League semi-final. We've got games, three away games and one home game. And I'm telling you now, boys, that boy's playing. Mm. Right? So <laughs> he's playing. So you, and that's the truth. But he's playing. So let's go up. He's playing. Right? So, and we don't need him to have a Nabooey situation on, on the pitch. We need him to play and play well. Right? So unless, you, unless you're throwing up options to me that I'm not aware of, um, bring them, bring them forward, right? Because I, I can't see them. So we need to, we need to hold on to this guy for a little bit longer and, until we get his Louis Vuitton suitcase and he gets out of the building, right? Because until then, it, it's somebody we got to, we got to bring along with us. And so for the analysis side of things, yeah, you know what? I felt on the third goal, let's, let's not mess about, that should have been a throw not a corner. He needs to get out for a throw-in. And he, he dives-heads it for a corner. Nice and spectacular. 
he's always been physically challenged. Because he's physically challenged, he feels he needs to go into collisions. He feels he needs to get there quickly because he's he's not long-legged, he's short-legged, he's quite powerful. He feels he needs to go into contact. He's a blown-up fullback. When a corner comes, second phase, he loses his man. It's just, just useless. Just useless. So there is football. There's top six football. There's high pressure football. I, I actually tweeted, retweeted Tim's tweet, and I called it tweet of the year. I've always felt that Mustafi has derailed in games, but actually, the way Tim sort of explained it is it, is even better. He he looks for an out, and he absolutely does. He looks for an out, and he, and that is exactly the right description for his issues. It is mental. It's, it's not down to his football ability. It is mental. It's pressure. And he looks for an out. When he has massive responsibility, he struggles with it. And we've got a few like that. We really have. Remember the last podcast I talked about what we need to do next year? We need to we need to buy players that we trust. And while we're all talking about what the start 11 should be, the reason why we debate it is we don't trust some of them to deliver. We don't trust some of them to do the jobs that they should be able to do. And that's what we've got to change. And Mustafi is just one of those. But I almost want to throw it away because we got we got five four to six more games to go and that man is going to be on the pitch again and we need to start loving him, I'm afraid. Well I, well, I I'm never going can to ask do that. Clive something <laughs> earlier. Sorry. Yeah please. Uh, Clive, have you seen my tweet about the ch- Turkish unit cyclist jockstrap and the midget? <laughs> that that was out, his second favorite today. tweet of the year, Paul. And <laughs> yet you have already out. awarded tweet of the year. Well, I, 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 you know, Tim, I just thought it was genius, right? I thought it's, but that's what analysis is like. You don't to tell, to say to somebody that they're rubbish is easy, but to really analyze somebody's weaknesses and why they do certain things is what. We're about, and I thought that was brilliant. Yeah, Paul. Before you say goodbye, just real, real, super quick. Uh, Ozil's goal, sensational. Yeah, it was absolutely superb. Jesus Christ! Why he, he twats it into the ground again? Why? Why doesn't he just do that all the time until they catch up? Well, maybe we never want them to catch on to it. But yeah, I feel that like was superb. That's kind of all he does, actually. To be fair. Yeah, and then you had the. I mean, Lacazette with the assist there, super smart. Uh, that was a hell of a. A cutback for to to play Ozil onto it. It was just beautiful. Yeah. Okay. Well, I know you got to run. I wish you yep. didn't, um, because we could get more stuff like the reference to your tweet of the year. But uh, Paul's on yeah. Twitter. Pause in my pants. Thanks, Paz. See you guys later, bud. Um, Let me. Okay. So, uh, Tim, l- let's talk a little bit about the positives. I think Ozil is a big positive. Um, because the first half was a bit. How should we say this? Shit. Um, you know, there's short on positives. Yeah, short on positives. There's a tendency to think that everybody was shit, and I don't think that's the case. I think Ozil was good, not just in the second half where I thought he was really good. I thought he was really good in the first half. Um, I just tweeted out a picture of a screenshot of a video that you can find on Arsenalist. That was a long way to describe something, but um, basically in the 21st minute, I don't know if you remember this. Ozil plays a line breaking pass to Oba on the edge of the area that he drags back to Lacazette, and Lacazette kind of kicks fresh air. He doesn't really, you know, mm. he spins around, doesn't get a shot on it. It's a really good opportunity. Ozil splits five defenders, four defenders, takes them all out of the play with one pass. He was dropping back. He was trying to help Ganduzi and Elneny. I thought he was switched on defensively. I thought he looked focused and energized. Um, 
he he does start his run in the middle, you know, for the the halfway line for the goal that he scores. Let's talk about the goal. I mean, drops deep, collects mm-hmm. the ball, gives it, runs in. He does everything we want Ramsey to do in that position. Makes the yeah. furthest run past the striker. It's a nice pass from Lacazette, and that finishes. I don't know what to say about it. It is just creative genius. Yeah, absolutely. And and um, he, he and Lacazette, they, they have a really good understanding, I think, when Ozil does that, carries the ball to him and then runs past him. They they do that they do that quite a bit. And it was it was actually quite similar to Ozil's goal at home to Liverpool um, last season. Very similar, um, actually, just the, just a slightly longer range link up. Um, and and that finish again. What what's really weird about it is in real time, despite how many times he's done it now, in real time you think what how did that it's like it's almost like a magic eye thing you need to look at it three times before you realize what he's done because when it when it went in you i kind of went oh wow like how's he done that and it took a couple of replays before i realized and really you should have guessed first time round. but um the, the the beauty of that shot is that even if you're expecting it which you know i i think he'd have to do it a lot before a goalkeeper anticipates it I mean, it it's still pretty much unstoppable if you do it correctly. Because, like, you're the goalkeeper. What are you supposed to do? Um, because the flight of the ball is just so unpredictable. Um, I, I don't, you know, the, the way he the way he gets the angle there. If you're a goalkeeper, I, I don't understand what you do about that. Um, and and that's the beauty of the shot. It's not just that it's an audacious piece of skill and it looks nice. It's it works. It reminds me a little bit that this is what I always say about that famous Bergkamp goal against Newcastle. It's it's not just the quality and the technique and the thought. It's just that in that situation, mm-hmm. it, it's just the perfect piece of skill because it's the last thing the defender expects and it's pretty much un- unstoppable anyway. Um, but yeah, I, I, I thought he had a decent game, um, Ozil. I, I find with Ozil, I have to retrain my eye when he doesn't play for a little while or when he's in and out of the team because at first, in the first half, because I've been used to Ramsey, I was a bit, and, and I felt like we needed a Wobie on there, we needed a runner, we needed someone to run at them and pull them out of position. I was kind of thinking, yeah. Uh, Ozil's not really in this game, but I, I think you're right. What what he did well, and um, I kind of wrote about this in the in the kind of quick hit preview about him was that you know I guessed we were going to play on any and Genduzi together, and that put the onus on him to really do what that midfield pair can't do. Um, and and I think he tried to do that in the first half, and and I think he tried to do it well. I I just think the game wasn't perhaps wasn't really set up for him because of the way Palace were defending. I, th- I think really when a team banks up like that, you need runners and dribblers and um, players that cause a little bit of chaos. And, you know, Iwobi is literally the only player we have like that. And actually, I, I started thinking during uh, during the first half, you know, as much as people got annoyed with him, it, it's times like this, I, th- I think we miss Sanchez or at least what Sanchez was. Um, I think well, we really could have done with someone, even if he crossed it out of play four times, like one time it had come off. And we, we really, to Clive's point, um, we have, I've you know said it before, like a lot of sunshine players, a lot of players who need the temperature of the game to be just right. Otherwise, you know, they don't really do anything. Like Mkhitaryan, he's like that. Kolasinac is definitely like that. 
I, I wouldn't accuse Ozil of being like that so much because he's so good he can bend the game to his will. But what what we needed was someone else just to kind of a bit of a runner and a rider. And, and then I think we'd have really seen like the value of Ozil. And I, I think we saw that for a bit when Iwobi came on, um, actually. It just had that, that much better mix to it until Palace scored and... You know, we were shell shocked for ten to fifteen minutes, and 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 it all kind of went to shit again. But yeah, I I, I think Herzl played well, and he got the goal. And unfortunately, I think in the last fifteen minutes, he was completely spent because um, he's he's not used to playing ninety minutes at the moment. Yeah, well, I, I mean that that's that's actually probably a good point. I I think there were a lot of things to be encouraged about in the second half of this game, in particular. And it's just unfortunate that defensive lapses cost us because this was totally recoverable. I mean, we had it to 1-1, and that's what makes it so frustrating. Um, the Aubameyang goal was really something special, too. And Clive, you know, I thought Aubameyang and Lacazette, again, had very poor performances by and large. But you see what their involvement can mean. I mean, Lacazette gets the assist to Ozil, and then Aubameyang does something that I don't think any of us felt he had in his locker. Did that goal really surprise you just in terms of a, a type of goal that he's... Not someone that you expect to score it? Yeah, well, he sort of took responsibility, didn't he? And just sort of drove through the team, got a lucky ricochet and then slotted it. And um, I thought Lacazette played well. And it's, you know, again, what we're seeing is peaks and troughs of two strikers. And Aubameyang, I felt, has been, he's been a bit fresher and sharper up until this game. Um, Lacazette's had less minutes and he looked sharper today. Um, and basically... That's what we're having to, you know, adjust to. I, I keep saying it, and I really mean it. The biggest miss for me has been Danny Welbeck, and I, because I don't think we're seeing the full potential of our, you know, two superstar forwards, because I feel they're always just on the edge of fatigue. We're not seeing them play together when they're both fresh and they're both sharp. So either one shining or the other one shining, and they help each other through the game. One comes off early, looks upset, has a game on the sidelines, then comes back and plays better than the other one. So we're making it work, but it's not ideal. We haven't got that third striker that can make either one of them rest significantly till they come back stronger. And I, I think it's a major, major signpost for the season. I'm hoping it's not going to be too costly come the end when we look at our results, look at our position, uh, and look where we are. Uh, I, I heard you touch on Iwobi there, and I don't know if you're going to talk about Iwobi yet. Well, sure, I, let me ask you about him, because the, the funny thing is, I, you know, when, when uh, Tim mentioned Alexis, you know, Iwobi brought some of the things that Alexis did, as we said, but, like, not the finishing. And that that is really the thing that is just so hard because I thought Iwobi played so well for, you know, the majority of that performance. He gets into the position to to score such a crucial goal and hits it so tamely. That part of the game I just don't think is ever going to happen for him. I, I wouldn't say that. But then if you compare a similar chance that one, Al- one Aldum had against um, Cardiff. Yep. The ball's come across and he's got off the ground and he's smashed it with his laces. Then the, tr- the thing is there, mate, he's not afraid to miss. That's the difference. He's not afraid to miss. He's prepared to take it on, which is a really hard technique. Right? Awobi, when he took that shot, he felt he was afraid to miss. 
He wasn't saying I'm going to score. He said, I want to make sure I don't do anything stupid. I'm going to give it a side foot towards the goal. I might get a deflection. It might go in. But no one's going to say I blew it. Right? But when you're top level playing for Arsenal outside his penalty spot, mate, you got you got to make that work. you got to make that work for you. you got to find the technique. you got to, you got to find the layers of shooting. It's something I've been discussing online. I think if I... He's the one player in our club. Mm. If I, that, if you said to me, which player would you like to coach the most, or give, or sit down for half an hour, or just talk to, it would be him, because he's on the cusp of being a really good player, or being somebody that we were going to forget really quickly, and he needs to decide what he's going to be. And I think he needs to work on his game a lot more. He's got body power. He can post up. He can receive the ball back to goal. But mate, do you want to be a Jordan Ibe, or do you want to be a really good player? Jordan I mean, Ibe. Me, me personally, flo- I'd be either. I'd be fine with that. I'll, yeah. be, Jor- I'll be Jordan Ibe. That's fine. <laughs> you know, you know what I mean by Jordan uh, Ibe. Yes, a really course. strong player, a attacking player. Had bright moments. Never quite convinced. Liverpool sold him for ten mil to Bournemouth. They they st- they stashed the money, and he's there scurrying around that team, having bright moments out of the team, back in the team. Iwobi, do you want to be Jordan Ibe? Or do you want to be an Arsenal footballer? If you do, start practicing. You've got power. You can shift the ball to the side. You have to change the emphasis of your game and to start to score goals. You have to say, I'm not about four crosses a game. I'm about shots on target, hitting a target hard. I've got that little shift, that Coutinho-style shot. Have I got it in my locker? If I haven't got it, I've got to get it in my locker. I've got to start to practice dead balls. I've got to offer this team more than running down the wing, stopping, starting, low cross into the box. It isn't good enough. We have to raise the levels. We have to raise the standards. You've got the ability. You have the talent. You've got the physique. You've got the attitude. Practice. Add these layers to your game. Don't be satisfied doing what you're doing right now. And that's the one player I'd like to get hold of. Because there are lots of fans out there that are not as patient as me. who don't look at it like I'd look at it. And they're ready for him. And that chance is going to stick in people's minds. And a game against Wolves, he needs to, he needs to slot the next one, mate. Otherwise, he's on the chopping block next to Guendouzi, Mustafi, <laughs> and the list goes on, right? Mm-hmm. It's Steiner. Those players are there. And I feel really strongly that somebody's get hold of him and really make him get to the level because I think he can get there. But if he doesn't, he's going to fade away and we're going to replace him. And he's going to look back and say, remember the days I played for Arsenal? And that shouldn't happen. He needs to practice, needs to work hard on those details. He needs to work hard on end product because I believe the football talent is within him and, he, and he's not producing. And I know Tim has mentioned this before, I totally agree. We have a huge dependency on him because he is, he is that one player. If we had three or four like him, maybe we wouldn't look at him with such a strong lens. Um, but right now, this is it, mate. This is you. You need to start delivering. You should be starting more games, and he's not. Well, and I think we have a really difficult decision to make there, Clyde, because frankly, I think wide forward is a priority for us in the transfer market. I think we have to get someone who has more directness and goals in the more end product in the final third. I love Awobi as a player. I don't see him as someone that we can rely on as a regular starting final third type wide forward. If they want yeah. to move him to midfield, fine. But for all the great things you just said, 
The question is, how much patience can we have with him developing the things that you're saying he needs to develop versus going in the market and buying those things? Um, uh, I, I think your point is really – it's interesting. I didn't say it a bit earlier on, but also you you saw him as a player that could have played in centre midfield. Yeah. So, you, so you're looking at him slightly differently than maybe, than maybe I am. I'm seeing him as maybe as a, an inside attacking forward in a square, if you see what I mean, the yeah. top two. Mm-hmm. Um, that's what I see him right now, probably from the left-hand side. But if you're going to make that work, you better develop a right-footed shot into the top corner. You have to. That's what everyone else is doing. Yeah. So you have to do that. You have to do that. So, But the fact, Elliot, that me and you have a different view of him means he hasn't that I'm defined wrong. his game. <laughs> no, no. You know, he hasn't defined his game fully enough. That means we're not seeing enough end product in the top end. And let's be honest, do we trust him to work off the ball defensively? You know, I, I, I targeted Mikasarium because he's 30 years of age and I trust his experience. But really, do I trust him? Probably not. So really, what, what the manager did, he said, you know what, I'm not sure I'm going to get from those two. So I'm going to play Gwenduzi and El Nenny. Therein lies the problem. It's down to trust. Neither Mikatarin and Iwobi we have delivered enough consistently to make them the obvious choice. So we're now speculating, right, on who they are, what they are, what they deliver. And there's too many of those players. Yeah. There really is too many of those I, players. It shouldn't be a debate. It really shouldn't. I, I guess what I would say, Clive, and the only reason I see him the, the way I did is I would rather at this point in his career try to leverage the skills I know he has that are peak quality than try to develop the skills I'm not convinced he will ever have. Does that make sense? You know, like it I know does. he has strength and ball retention and dribbling and, you know, I know he can carry the ball. I don't know that I believe he has the final ball, whether that's the pass or the shot. Um, yeah. And so I, I'm, I'm at the point with him where I'd prefer to leverage the things I know he has. Um, can I throw yeah, a yeah, crazy please. suggestion in there? Because it's I, usually my so thing, I, but sure. <laughs> so I think it's crazy, right? But um, I was thinking about what to write this week. I, I don't think I'm going to write this article, but um, as Clive mentioned, missing Welbeck earlier. And I think one of the really interesting things about this summer is how we replaced Danny Welbeck. Absolutely. Um, so. Because we've got two really good strikers. And, you know, look at what Chelsea and Spurs have tried. Well, particularly Spurs that I'm quite interested in here is because they tried and failed to buy backup for Harry Kane so often because no one wants to play backup to Harry Kane. They know they're not going to play. And they've kind of wrestled with this. Chelsea have wrestled with this a little bit, trying to buy a striker. Like Liverpool have got fairly, I say got lucky. That front three has stayed fit. So they've got Sturridge and they've got Origi in the locker, but they haven't had to use them. Uh, yeah, Shakiri as well, because they've stayed fit. And we've, we've had that so far, that luck with Lacazette and Aubameyang. What I'm really interested in with, is what we do with this third striker position, right? And um, and because we've either got to buy someone or we've got to go internal resource, okay? And look at what most other clubs have done, because there's a premium of strikers around and most play one up front. It's really, really difficult to buy strikers and it's really difficult to buy backup strikers. And Spurs, in my view, by accident, have stumbled across this thing where they've gone through Saldado, Janssen, Llorente, none of them have worked. So they started playing Sun as a kind of false nine or Lucas Moura as a false nine and it's worked. 
And we did this with Sanchez as well. And so anyway, if we can't buy a third choice striker, which is a really difficult transfer to make, yes. we either need someone from the youth team and he doesn't trust Nketiah because Nketiah didn't even get on yesterday. Or he's got to find that false nine in the squad somewhere. And we had it with Sanchez. Spurs have had it with Sun. Um, you know, Chelsea have done it with Hazard a little bit. United have done it with Lingard once or twice played him as a false nine and I'm looking around our squad and thinking I, I don't really think anyone has got that ability to play that position but I wonder and I, I think it might be mad but I wonder if Iwobi could do it because I don't yeah. think you have to be a good goal scorer to play that position mm. I think what you have to do is move around a lot and come short and get the ball and bump it off and hold players off and I, I, I'd be really interested to see if Iwobi could do it. And I, hmm. I wonder if that's just so crazy he's done it, it might he's done work. He's a youth player. He's done it well, as a youth just, player too. Exactly, yes. Can I add, sure. I'll tell you what, this is a really interesting topic, right? So Elliot, I'm going to chop you down here. Yeah, sure. <laughs> because I, I think... In the spotlight. Touching, yeah, Alex Iwobi, Tim free is, content right now. Tim, Tim is touching on something here. And I'm going to give another angle to maybe use for your article. I think we have a problem with that third striker. So you know what we, what we might do? I think we might sell one of our first two strikers and add yeah. two multifunctional wide players that can play up front in a two or play as a one. But I think we have two centre forwards that really want to be the nine. Mm. I, I'm not sure that's going to last. I'm telling you, I'm not sure it's going to last. We might lose one and buy two. Two wide scoring forwards, and that gives him a centre forward, mm, interesting. and it gives him more options tactically. Because what we're doing, let's be honest, Elliot, you're mm. a Alabama Young fan. I am. How do you feel when you see him on the right wing? You don't feel no, good, do you? No, I don't. Right? It's not working, right? It's not optimal, but we're making it work. So if you're, if you're a manager, you're looking at this, and I saw a Young Real Madrid story the other day. I thought that's interesting. I'm just looking at it, and I'm thinking. Okay, how am I going to develop this team? How am I going to add more layers? How am I going to add more tactical offensive options? And Tim's talking about full sign. I love that idea. But I think I'm not sure we're going to carry two number nines like that into next season. I think the way to replace the third striker is actually to lose one and buy two second strikers, if that makes sense. Yeah, yeah. I, I mean, I think, look, to your, to your point, Tim, I think it's a really interesting solution to the problem and, and way to use him. And I, I'm not saying that it can't work. And I'm, I'm not disagreeing with you guys about what we could do with him. I think it really comes down to how many goal scorers you have on the pitch, right? Mm. Um, you know, if you look at, like, Firmino yeah. at Liverpool, Sa uh, uh, Sadio Mane and Mohamed Salah score a lot of goals. Um, yeah. And, that, and Firmino can score. I mean, he does score. So you really have three goal scorers there. And then they usually yeah. play with one more guy who can get you a goal. I mean, I think they would have liked it to be maybe Alex Oxlade-Chamberlain, but, you know, Wijnaldum popped up with a goal. The question for me is, can, you know, can we put enough goals on the pitch if we're using a non-scoring yeah. guy in that You role? need runners. Yeah. If you've got a false nine, you need someone running in behind. Exactly. Yeah, absolutely. And, and I, you know, I, that's why, again, ultimately, I think these positions are really important. And if we are going to go with Lacazette as our striker for the future, if Aubameyang starts to fade away from age or if he got moved or something happened... Lacazette can come deep, but who's going to run beyond him? It's not going to be a Wobie, in my opinion. So that mm. you know, that's a position we have to sort out. Let, let's do this. Let's sort of talk ramifications of this game. I, 
I left the game feeling very disappointed with Emery because I felt he got the lineup wrong. For all the the sympathy I had with him for having used Mustafi and probably having used Mavropanos and you know what he had to do, I just still think there is in the back of his mind the slightest bit of tendency to go conservative as his first choice. And I think it bit him in this game. I think if he had gone with the second half style lineup, you know, I'm not even saying necessarily those players, but a back four, extra attacker on. I think Arsenal Football Club always has to have four attacking players on. The back three works when Ramsey's in it because he gets involved in the attack. He runs beyond, he gets in the box, he scores goals. We had three in the first half and it wasn't enough. But the defensive errors ultimately cost us. The referee did cost us. I think that's worth pointing out. On another day, we rescue this and Emery did get it right in the second half. And I... You know, I, as much frustration as I felt with him immediately after the game, I think it has shifted a little bit to the, the errors of Mustafi, who is, is always a good receptacle for that sort of emotion. But let's talk about what it actually means, the ramifications of it. So United getting hammered by Everton didn't hurt. The fact of the matter is we still sit fourth right now ahead of Chelsea on goal difference, reasonably solidly, and they still have to go to Old Trafford. I think we are going to win against Wolves in midweek. I think Socrates and Koscielny together. Now, who knows if Koscielny will play? He may not. That's going to be interesting. I mean, how many games can he play at his age with his situation? But I think Socrates has been a huge part of our success. I think it gives us a little more defensive solidity, and I think Emery's going to go for it. I I think the impact of this is that he will go for it against Wolves. I personally think we'll win. You know, it's funny. I don't. Would any of you say that I'm overly optimistic by nature, that my my tendency is towards (laughs) seeing the, the sunny side of things? I don't think so. When people are mad, they don't want to hear anything upbeat. I said after the game that as angry as I was, as frustrated as I was, I still think we're going to finish top four, and people hated me for it. And I'm sorry. I just still think we are. I think Chelsea is a bad team. I think United is a bad team. I think they will drop more points than we will, and we are currently fourth. So, Tim, for you, do you think that we lost top four on this day like a lot of people do, or are you still feeling okay? No, I'm still... Obviously feeling less okay but still <laughs> I, I i always felt so when we did the predictions thing i was like points are going to get dropped that people don't expect to be dropped and all of the teams are going to do that i still think chelsea will drop points that you don't expect them to drop i you know i don't think we're going to win all our i don't think any of the teams in the mix are going to win all their games and i never have so uh, when we did the kind of predictor i was you know i, I didn't know when it would come um, but I, I predicted a draw for this game, actually. I think Palace are very dangerous away, and I felt we were missing some players, and I felt like tough decisions had to be make, made on the lineup, and you make them in this game, even if you don't want to, really. Um, so I, it's, it's, still, it's still in our hands, particularly because Chelsea play Man United. I think you're right, looking at Tottenham's run in now, um, finishing above them is is not entirely out of the question, but unlikely um but yeah it's it's still in our hands and there'll still be twists and turns yet because all of the teams are a little bit flawed Mm. um essentially and none of them want to take control of this race and i think that that pattern will continue um indefinitely and you always get odd results at this time of the season either because Teams are safe and they play with a bit of freedom. Sometimes teams are relegated and they play with a bit of freedom. Look at Fulham, probably playing their best football of the season now that relegation's confirmed. And then you play teams who fight relegation and Brighton have got Spurs in midweek. 
and we've got Brighton and you look at the way Brighton played against Wolves and that kind of frightens me for our game because you know exactly what they're going to do. They're going to line all 11 players up along the goal line, um, quite frankly. And I, I think that one, that could be a tough, frustrating afternoon as well. So I, 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 I'm hugely disappointed by this result and it really was a bit of a gut punch, but I, I was. It wasn't a massive surprise to me. I, I still think there'll be twists and turns yet. Yeah, I mean, let, before I go over to you, Clive, let me just make this point, right? I had us getting seven points from here, okay, from where we are right mm. now. None at Leicester, th- uh, one at Wolves, and winning against Brighton and Burnley, okay? Seven. By the way, Tim, that's what you had as well, okay? Mm. I had United getting nine points from here, winning home to Chelsea at Huddersfield, home to Cardiff, and losing at City. You had them getting seven points from here, okay? Mm. I had Chelsea getting seven points from here, and you had Chelsea getting eight, okay? If I'm right, and I'm not saying I'm going to be right, but what I'm saying is, (laughs) based on the current situation, we still finish top four if the predictions go as expected. Same for you, Tim, and Clive was actually sunnier, so we, we definitely get top four with Clive's predictions and same with Paul. What I'm saying is, It was a terrible result that is a gut punch and makes the margins much finer for sure. But we are still, based on all results, on pace for top four if things go as we kind of thought. I think we can still lose to Leicester, draw Wolves, beat Brighton and Burnley, and and get top four. Now, for that to happen, Chelsea are probably going to have to lose at United. I think the United-Chelsea game is the game that determines top four for us, and I think United have to Mm. win it, which I have no confidence in so that's the scary thing for me i mean clive how do you see it turning out i think um <laughs> i don't know why i get I, sometimes i forget this is arsenal right? and I, I know this club and if we'd have won yesterday i guarantee you we lose against wolves this, this is what we do right so um i think it, it now puts pressure on an away victory to come very very quickly but we tend to respond better with that and and let's be honest, you know, when you saw the lineup, you're thinking, we're in a bit of trouble here if things go wrong. Chris Pace are a very good away team, and it didn't go well. It didn't go well. Um, but I I have a, I feel that um, it's still in our control up to a point. I just think yesterday didn't need to be a loss. It just needed to be a draw. Sometimes it doesn't work out, but just to get that draw would have been enough to sort of think, not take away the edge we needed going forward for the away games, but just gives that a little bit more insurance. So to lose all three was a disappointment. I'm still feeling confident, but I generally am quite positive, as you know. Yeah. And um, and I always look for that. I I feel we need to have the pressure placed on us. But when it comes down to it, What's more important than anything of all is that we have our better players available and fit and healthy to play. Because if they are ready to play, I think we have a very good chance. Delivering against a Wolves team that's basically heartbroken. They're heartbroken from the Watford game. They've dropped away. They started to get their flip-flops out. This is the time to play. We didn't want to play them two months ago. It would have been really tough. Again, Leicester... That game is going to be interesting because Brendan likes to 
make sure that everyone knows he's still around. And to get a, a good performance against the top 16, that validates him for the summer and gets him transfer funds. So that's very, very dangerous. So if we can get four points from those two games, whatever have against Burnley, whatever we need, we will get. That's just the nature of football. And it's just make sure we sort Brian out. So I think it's four points from the next two away games and to make sure that we deliver against um, Burnley and Brighton, which I think we will. So Wednesday night is the one. I think it's going to be very interesting to see what we do and what way to play in that game. Yeah, and sometimes, look, managers learn lessons too, right? Like, I mean, I think there is this tendency to feel like a, a coach does something wrong and he's always going to do that wrong or he doesn't learn. If I have to give Emery credit for anything, I don't think he's always done a great job this season, and sometimes I think he has been brilliant, but he does seem to learn. And... You know, I thought we we went on a run after the Bate Borisov away loss where he did make changes. He brought Ramsey in. He brought Ozil in. He went with a back four away to Spurs. He played one striker up top for a series of games. Maybe he backslid a little in the Everton game, in this game, trying to rotate for Europa League and because of suspensions and injuries. Um, But I do think he'll come out and be more aggressive. I think the first half of this game will have been a reminder to him that we have to play on the front foot. And so I'm hoping that this loss leads to something positive in that Emery goes back to where he kind of had been in the previous months, playing aggressively, playing, playing front-footed. It's weird how coaches get into ruts with things. For example, Mohamed Elneny wasn't playing at all. I mean, did he start more than a game before March? I can't think of one. And suddenly he's playing a lot because Genduzzi got a rap on the wrist after the Ren away game where he had you know some flaps, some issues there, and... And Elneny came in the squad, and he's been playing a little bit now. I think we'll see the end of Elneny, which I think will be for the best, because I just don't think he's Arsenal caliber. I don't think Jenkinson will play again. I think Mustafi will be out of the team as much as possible. We're not going to have to rely on Mavropanos, hopefully. So I think there's a lot to be optimistic about. It starts with Wolves. I think he'll be aggressive. To your point, Clive, I don't know what they have to play for. And while they can be a very dangerous team, um, you know, sometimes catching these teams whose season is basically over... I think can can really do you a lot of good. I think we're going to win, and I still believe we will get top four. I actually think this is going to be one of those weird rides where we wind up getting top four and winning the Europa League. So look at me being the Pollyanna. Um, <laughs> I'm with you. I'm it, with you there, it is what it is. I, I don't, you know. Ultimately, though, I, this is why it's on a razor's edge. If Koscielny does a, you know, gets a hamstring injury next game, if Socrates rolls an ankle, you know, if if these players we have to have, if Granite Xhaka can't can't get fit. If Ramsey is truthfully just done for the season, no, we can't overcome that stuff. You know, and I, I, I think that is really what it boils down to. One thing these last couple of weeks have shown us is we know exactly where the weaknesses in the squad are. You know, we know exactly what has to be done this summer. I tell, I tell you what, Eddie, I'm, I'm watching Kishani. I'm sure, I'm sure Tim's doing the same in the ground. But every time he goes into a challenge, I watch him get up, and he, and he almost stoops over and does a stretch. And I'm looking at him, and I'm looking at him like we used to look at Jack Wilshire when he was always going to tackles and waiting for him to get back up again. I'm looking at Koscielny in that way because mm. we all recognise he is absolutely key. I thought one of the one of the absolutely. really telling moments of the game was when he stepped off um, in the touch when there was a stoppage of play and grabbed a bottle of WD-40 and sprayed it on his knees. I thought that was really telling. <laughs> um, okay, well, Tim's on, yeah, Tim's on Twitter. It's Stilberto. Thanks, Tim. My pleasure as always. Clive's on Twitter at Clive PAFC. Thanks, Clive. Oh, real quick, Tim, uh, prediction for, for midweek? When Was it Wednesday? Yeah. Yeah, um, yeah, I think we'll win 2-1. Okay, Clive? I like that. 
first goal counts, I'm going to go 3-1 just for a little bit of difference. 4-1 to the Arsenal. But actually, that's not even my real prediction. You're going to hear that momentarily. My name is Elliot Smith. You can block me on Twitter. Yankee Gunner gives a five-star review. Write nasty things about Paul. Scott will be back on the pod, I assure you. I have been traveling a ton. I just got off a plane again. I'm getting on another one tomorrow. But the travel ends next week, and then it's all back. The YouTube stuff, the pregame shows, the halftime shows, all the stuff you hate, more of the terrible content that you loathe, which is why you are listening to this podcast right now. In any event, we do love you. Um, we don't say it enough, but we, we try to because we do, and we really appreciate you for being here as we all struggle through this thing called Arsenal together. In any event, it's onwards and upwards. Back to winning ways. We'll talk to you after Arsenal 10. Watford nil. When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. And if you have a lot of mailing to do, Stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. Mail checks, invoices, documents, and everything you need to keep your business running. Get rates up to 89% off USPS and UPS. And with the mobile app, you can take care of mailing on the go. Make the same no-brainer decisions as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Sign up at Stamps.com with code PROGRAM for a special offer. That's Stamps.com, code PROGRAM.